topic with me, please. Say building, building. A, future. a future. That is the theme for the year. And the theme for the year says basically that you have a future, but you're involved in building it. It's not going to happen by accident. And there are certain things you need to have in your life if you're going to build a future. And one of them is you have to have a new way of thinking. And so the first thing we talked about this year was building a new mind. Say that with me, please. Come on. Building a new mind. Second thing we talked about, the second series, was building a new approach. Once you think differently, then you have to approach life differently. And if your mind stays the same, what you will have in life will stay the same. You will not advance. Your relationships will not advance. Your finances, nothing will advance until you change the way you think and change the way you approach things. Third thing that you need is what we're talking about this month. You have to build a new approach. The way you approach things, the way you, uh, I'm sorry, build, you have to build a new conviction. I apologize. You have to develop a new way to see the world around you. What are your convictions? What are your strongly held viewpoints? Now, as you age, those viewpoints evolve. There are things that you learn after being married that you didn't know before you were married. There are things you learn after you've gone through a career and you're on the other side of that career. When you look back, you have a different conviction about work. There are some things I just don't do anymore because I have a strong conviction. I, I have a conviction that if I'm going to be on time, I have to set alarm clocks. For me, it's just an absolute must. And so my first question when I go to bed at night is what time do you have to be up in the morning? What's your first obligation? It's wonderful when there are none, when there's just sleep until you wake up and you get up and you just, you're fine. But generally, there is some kind of obligation. So I take out my, 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 my phone, and I, have, I set myself alarms. And you may think, you got to be kidding me. No, I'm serious. So, for example, if the plane leaves at 7, at 7 o'clock, I know, Temple, you need at least an hour or 30 minutes to get to the airport. And you want to be there early, so you got to be there at 6 in the morning because you want to be there an hour early, and sometimes an hour and a half early. So now I'm back to 6 o'clock. So I start with where I want to be, and I work my way back to 6 o'clock. Then I say, okay, so you want to be there at 6, so 7 is when you need to be there for the plane to leave. 6 o'clock is when they want you to be there, that's 6 o'clock. So now how do I get to be there at 6 o'clock? So now I say, okay, so i got to get up. It takes me an hour to get all, everything packed, loaded in the car, dressed, showered, everything. So now I'm at 5 o'clock. Then i got some goof-up time because I always goof off. That's just part of my life. So I have 30 minutes to goof off. So I need to get up at 4.30. Otherwise, I'm not going to make it. And I know that if, I don't, if I'm not honest about that and I have alarms, I say, okay, Temple, this is your get-up time. Okay, Temple, this is your UK. Listen. This is your leave the house time. You're out of the door. And you may say, boy, you have a lot of issues. Well, at least I'm honest about it. <laughs> at least I'm honest. Maybe that's why I'm up here, because I'll tell the truth about my issues. What are your issues? What are the things that you know that you will do and won't do? And can you be honest about it? Can you be honest about the things in your life that you need to, to focus on and change? And in this study today, we're going to deal with one of those. I think one of the areas that we need convictions about is how we build wealth. So the title for today's sermon, repeat it with me, please. Say, building a future, building a future. with clear convictions, with clear convictions. About, wealth. about wealth. Now, normally you don't have this kind of conversation, I said, in the church because it's uncomfortable. People just tend to think you, you're just, you know, it's not where you talk about that. 
you go to an investor, you go to some bank or somebody to talk about it. But I want to ask you a couple of questions and challenge you to bring this conversation to your home. I want to challenge you to find a friend. I want to challenge you to build relationships where you have what I call wealth-building discussions. If you don't have people that you talk to about this, you will probably never do it. And, and I really believe what that will do for you, if you find those relationships, it will help you build a conviction. Clear convictions. People where you sit down and say, what do you make a year? What do you save a year? And you swap information, you talk. There's something strong about that. But let's start with a great question. Are you wealthy? And if you say, well, no, Pastor, I'm not wealthy. Here's the second question. Why aren't you wealthy? You thought you would be, many of you. What happened? That was your plan. That was your dream. What, why are you not a wealthy person? Third question, will you ever be wealthy? Based on the road you're on right now, the path you're on right now, will you ever be a wealthy person? And then, of course, the last question is, do you have any place you talk about it? Most people, if you don't have a place where you talk about it, you probably will never, ever, ever do it. And what's really tragic is you're in the house with your wife and you never talk about it. You're living with someone and you never have this discussion. You don't even know what the other person is dreaming and thinking about. What might be helpful, too, is to define wealth. Because some of you are saying, wait a minute, what do you mean? Well, here's what it basically means. It's an abundance of valuable possessions or money. And, in, and, it, and there's a, the Oxford Dictionary goes on to say, it's the state of being rich, materially prosperous. So it, it is about money. It is about resources. Plentiful supplies of a particular resource. It's not just money. You can be wealthy in, in a lot of other ways. It's not just cash, but that's part of it. It means affluence, prosperity, riches. You ever heard it said, he's a man of means. That's what it means to be wealthy, to have sustenance, to, be, to have a fortune. Now, again, I don't want this to just be about wealth or money, but I do want you to see that as a big part of it. Warren Buffett said something that is interesting. He said, wealth is uh, the transfer of money from the patient, inpatient to the patient. Now, again, this is no, in no way putting down poor, poor people or poor people who are challenged financially, but it is important to understand his big point. People who become wealthy are patient. It's a process. It's not instant. That's one of the lies of the lottery. I mean, I say that with grace. I'm not beating up on the lottery today. I'm just making a point. It just isn't the way you normally get wealthy. That 10, that 10 million millionaires in America as of the last time I looked, 10.1. And I'm not saying that that's a goal. I'm not even trying to say you need to become a millionaire. I just don't want you to be a tenonaire. That means you got $10. <laughs> I don't want you to be a 20 in there. I want you to have enough so that you have enough resources. And, and for all of you, that's really a, a dream. And it's not an unhealthy thing to just have the discussion. And I know you can say, well, it's the government's fault. It's this person if they win. or if they, Okay, let's take all of that for a minute and say, if my first view is I don't believe it's ever been true that government or anybody solved all of our financial issues. So for a moment, put that on the side. I agree that there are issues that they can create for us. I agree that it's important to have the right government in place, the right policies in place. I'm for all of that. But for this conversation, let's put that on the side and ask you one question. What are you planning for your life? What's your wealth building plan for you outside of whatever benefit you may get from some new policy or, or plan that the government may have? 
what's your personal strategy and plan in your life? My argument is we don't build with the thought that I'm responsible. We even kind of make it God's responsibility. You know, I'm Christian, I'm saved, I love God, so he's going to prosper me, and it's his responsibility. That's not how it works. That's not what changes everything. A pastor once asked me about his congregation, and he said, we're not growing. And he said, they're not, there's no, there's no, we don't have enough resources or money. I said, you got the wrong group. You have a group of people who just want to watch. They want a private coach. They can come and get a, a peppy word and go home. They're not wanting to band together to make a difference. Let me tell you the families that really, really are impactful. The families that understand that we are responsible for what we become. One more time. We are responsible for what we become. When I understand as the father, I am responsible for creating an environment that will either be prosperous or full of contentious uh, arguments and side, side roads that have no value. So you go to work every day, okay, good. You pay your bills, good, and you, you got a roof over your head, good. So, so that's it. That's not a strategy. That's existing. That there's, there's nothing about this that will ever lead to anything but this. I'm saying let's do more than that. Let's not just have a church and have a building and come in here and say, okay, well, you give us a good word, Pastor Rick. Really? How exciting is that? If we're not banding together to make a difference anywhere, nobody has benefited because we exist. We're just a church. To be really honest, there's a lot better things to do with your time. I mean that sincerely. There's a lot better things to do with your time than come sit here and listen to me and get all dressed up or whatever and come sit here and listen to me and, and you not be impacted. I love Andy Stanley's argument about preaching. Matter of fact, it's part of a teaching series I'm doing when I travel now called Surviving the Ministry You Love. He said there are three things that a pastor has to ask himself when he's approaching preaching. One, is my job to teach the Bible to people? Is that my job? Is my job to take the Bible and that's my job? Or is my job to teach people the Bible? So what's my job? Am I teaching people or am I just teaching the Bible? Here's the thing about both of those. That's all about information. So if I'm teaching the Bible to people, what I want to make sure you know is you heard the Bible. You know, the Jerome started in this year, and Paul was this kind of guy, and he was a Pharisee. I want you to know the facts of the Bible. If I'm teaching people, and people are my priority, my big question is, did you, what did you learn today? I want to make sure the people heard me. But that's still all about information. The third option is so profound. He says, but what if you saw yourself as a person committed to teaching people how to change? Changing lives so that when you hear a message, it forces you to think about what I can do to make my life better. That when I meet the God of the Bible, it's not just information. It's not just memorization. It's change. That I actually heard a message that made me want to do something different. My marriage is better. My life is better. I'm preaching good. You ought to say amen now. That, my friend, is powerful, and that's what makes the difference. I'm not just here to entertain you. I'm here to motivate you to consider a new set of values a new set of views, a new way to communicate, a new way to get along, a new way to build something together as a team. Your family comes together and says, we are different now. 
And so when you go to college, what we do is we have a meeting, a family meeting. And we say, all right, she's going to college now, and she wants to be a nurse. So what we're going to do is gather together her tuition. You got some money, uncle. I want 5000 from you. You look rich. I know you made some deal. All right. I know she got some. Come on, sister. I know you done made 10000 on that last deal. So we're going to put at least 3000 to that, and we put money together to pay her tuition so that when she becomes a rich nurse, and then when our other friends start going to school and it's your turn, we're going to all get together and pay for your tuition. And then when you become this rich lawyer business guy, you're going to help him. And it's called family. Can you say family? Amen. That's the way it ought to be. Come on, people. That's the way it ought to be. It, it's, it's when you understand the power of that. And there's no jealousy and there's no envy because some of us are going to have an advantage. Look, there's 3,400 people who go to this church who are active members. If you all give me a dollar, I'm going to do better than most. And you would give me a dollar, wouldn't you? Let's see, how am I going to give me a dollar? I need a dollar. Oh, this is sad. I'm sad. I'm sad. Tell your neighbor to raise your hand. Get a pastor. A dollar? Raise your hand. Put your hand. I ain't got a dollar yet. What in the world? I want every hand up in Jesus' name. Put your hand up. Put your hand up. There's a dollar. There you go. Get a preacher dollar. See, but <laughs> that was hard work. You saw me get that dollar? That was hard. Boy, but my, you get my point? You, you, can't be, you can't be mad with me because I have an advantage, and I can't mistreat you because you don't. I must share. We must all band together. We've got to see it as a family. That's the power of tithing and offering. That's the power of giving. In one of these sermons, I'm going to talk about the conviction about tithing and what it means as a family to band together. See, this is why some families, your family will never get beyond where you are. You like to watch each other suffer. You got eight cars sitting in your driveway and you walk around giving your son a speech. Now, see, I used to walk to work back in the day. I'm going to let you catch the bus so you can understand how I felt. What, that, what in the world? Give me the keys, please. Talk to me. Tell me your story, but I need the keys, brother. I got to get to work. I don't need to suffer. Why am I suffering? Why, why, are you letting, why are you letting me go through this to teach me what? That I don't want to be broke? I know that already. I got that message. You ain't got to. <laughs> You're going to spoil people. Maybe, but you might inspire them. You might make them think it's a team. You might make them think that if I miss a shot, you're not going to spend the rest of the game saying, you dummy, you missed. You might, you might make me believe that you believe in me. That might be the outcome of you banning with me together. And let's build this thing together. How about an amen? amen. Give God a big shot if I'm telling you something true. <laughs> now, I want you to notice with me, there's, there's something you do in order to get this thing rolling. Matthew chapter 7, there's three things you do. In order to become a wealth builder in your life, you're going to have to make sure that you understand what the Bible says about wealth and how it's built. Now, first of all, let's be clear. Jesus talked about this 2,000 times plus. He talked about this more than anything, more than prayer. That may bother some people. More than heaven or hell. He talked about money a lot. The people he talked to about money, the way he described it was profound. Wealth, he understood it. You know, farmers were wealth builders. A lot of farming talk in the Bible. Shepherds, they're in business. Sheep is their business. They, they, they shear the sheep. 
make clothes out of the stuff, wool. I mean, that's why they made it. Was, this is a business. Wine, wine, wine growers, all this is, all this is business. And so Jesus was, it was, the Bible's full of it. Talents, rewards, blood. He talked about all that stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. And here's what, I, what bothers me in my job. You, people can make you feel guilty about even saying anything about it. So you raise a broke church. They can't do anything but complain and get up here and preach to somebody. And I, I just don't want to be a, 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 a broke, complaining, grumpy preacher man. I was someplace the other day. This guy was out there. He was out there preaching. And, I, he, and he's, he was doing one of those, um, it was a big, big fair kind of thing. Um, uh, uh, well, not fair. What was it? Uh, flea market. Yeah. And, and the guy was out there, and he was just standing there with a Bible. And he had the Bible in his hand, and he was just preaching. And people were just walking by trying to go to the flea market. See, I don't believe in bothering people. That's just me. Preacher, not I don't bother people. I let people know, hey, I'm just a nice guy. You know, if you want to talk about God or whatever, it's fine. But if not, baseball is fine, whatever you want to do, because my light is the key anyway. So anyway, he's standing out there, and he's saying, you're going to hell. And people just walk about with their kids. <laughs> He had this, you go in there. You don't hear Jesus. You better hear him now while you can. And he's just going on and on. And I'm just driving by. I said, you know you're looking crazy. People just, you know, embarrassing me. Nobody knows I'm a preacher at that moment. You know, I'm just driving like everybody else. And so I, and it, remi- it reminded me of one time I was a teenager. And I saw this guy. He was out there. You know, he's preaching just like this guy was. And he had a big old sign, Jesus saves. And it was in L.A. I remember I was, I was a young Christian. I was so excited about the Lord. And he was saying, you need to serve God. And I said, you know, I stopped for a minute. I said, that's right. Tell him, brother. Amen. You need God in your life. And he was just going on for a minute. And then he started cussing. And you blanking and blanks. If you don't, you got He started. And I said, oh, Lord, I got to leave. I can't. I, can't. <laughs> I don't know him. I got to go. Woo. He cussed them so bad, it was horrible. <laughs> Woo! Anyway. <laughs> Sometimes we, 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 we're trying to be spiritual, but we're going about it in the wrong way. The practical side of life gets lost. We don't realize that we're not thinking. We're, we're just not... The, the guy was preaching yesterday, and he was, and I just want to say, just leave him alone. That's not the way to do it. Sometimes you, you'd be amazed what you can do if you just fix up your life. If you, just, if you can just adjust your, your life and your world, and, and, and this is one of those practical ways you do it, but here's the key. You got to do three things to get jump started. Repeat them with me, please. Say, ask Seek and knock. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. But please notice it's something you've got to ask for. If the only thing you ask for is to be strong in the Lord and to be powerful in God and all that, and you're not concerned about your, your life, God wants you to be concerned about the whole of your life. I want you to be concerned about your spiritual life, but let me just ask, have you asked, have you begun to seek, are you knocking on ways 
to build a better future for yourself? Would there be something in your life that indicates you want more? Here's what I think happens to us. When you get to a certain age, you stop asking. You get to a certain age, you stop seeking. You just sit around and you just kind of, you just, you just, you just mope and you just look. Uh, I, I want you to bring my chair for me. I want to show you something. You just, you just tend to, if you're not careful, get to this place where you're not, you're not advancing. You're not even trying to advance at all. Nothing in your life is moving forward. As a pastor, it's so easy to fall into that trap. My whole life could be about bringing a word. Every week, that's my goal. Say something spiritual. And, and, and I'm not dreaming anymore. What are you doing every day? What are you doing every day? Are you knocking? Are you seeking? Are you asking? Have you gotten to the place that you just sit in this chair and you just, just, just kind of just, Father, in the name of Jesus, I bring myself to thee. Well, yeah, but you're sitting down. You might say, would you get up? And you, the older you get, I'm telling you, I'm 58. I'll be 59 in April, 26, write it down. And I'm telling you, <laughs> one of the things about, and this is really special for me, and I've said this before, I have never, I have never been viewed as older. In, in like, like now, I'm really older. Because I'm like, when I meet people, I'm normally older than them most of the time. Watch this. How many of you... I'm 58, I'm 59. How many of you am I older than? Raise your hand. My God, put your hands down. See, it's terrible. It's never been true. Put them up again, let me see one more time. I'm just almost the whole church. <laughs> Stop it. But, you know, it's, it's something when you're viewed as the older person. I went, this, this happened yesterday. This is fresh yesterday. This guy comes up to me. And I, I did this, this workshop, right, in Jacksonville. You may be watching anyway. And he comes up to me, <laughs> and he says, this, I've never had anybody say this to me, ever, ever. Here's what he said. He said, oh, they sent a video out of you before I came. It was a younger you. <laughs> he did. I thought, which one was it? <laughs> he, said, you, he says, and now I see you're, you, you, you kind of look like yourself. I thought, What? He didn't mean anything by it, but it was, but let me tell you, it was interesting. I, I never thought about the videos. They're like all the seasons of my life. And if you're not careful, what can happen to you is you can start thinking there's no more asking. There's no more seeking. There's no more knocking. And you spend all your time doing this. You know, you're on the phone. This is a phone. You're spending, you spend all your time, and then you, if you're not doing that, you're, you're watching some, some game like today, and you're watching all the millionaires run up and down the court, and you're broke, but you're watching all of them play that game. I can't believe you missed that shot. And you're, 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 not, you're, 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 you're asking for his, you're negotiating his contract. I can't believe they only get that boy $20 million. I would say no to that. I would say, you're making minimum wage, but you're negotiating this contract. I would, I would not, I would walk off the court, leave the building, if they would have given me 25 million. Minimum wage negotiator. I'm not putting you down, brother. I'm trying to make a point. Why are you not focused 
on your future? Why is our church not focused on its future? Why? Why, why don't we focus on building a future? And, and that starts with having some convictions. That this is a healthy discussion for me and my wife to sit down and talk about what we dream about. It's a healthy discussion for us to talk about what we want to buy. We did it yesterday. My wife and I said, you know, I might want to buy one of these. I like this idea. I, I think this is great. There's something about, this is a business, Diane, I think I might want to get into. There's something healthy about that. But have you stopped asking? Have you stopped seeking? Have you stopped knocking? There's this guy, I'm calling him Mr. Stevens, that's not his name. Mr. Stevens was in his mid-80s. Mr. Stevens was trying to sell me a piece of property we own here, a good-sized piece of property. And he, and he used to come by and he used to always park in my parking space with his big Mercedes. I thought, why? I, and he, he said, Pastor Ed, I want to talk to you about that property. I'm going to do a deal for you, Pastor Rick. And I said, well, Mr. Stevens, uh, <laughs> you want too much for that. Oh, there you go with that too much stuff. There you go with that too much stuff. You got to. And he, <laughs> we did this for a few years. And every time I look around, he's in town. He come park in my space. I know he was here. And, and, and one day, I called his office for some reason. And I remember the guy answered the phone, and he said, Mr. Stevens sold more than all of the people under him. He was their top salesman in his mid-80s. It's amazing how he never lost his passion. Now, this is really classic. He came back, last time he came to me, last time I saw him, he came by my office. He says, Pastor Rick, I'm about to die now. <laughs> he did. He's about to die. So I come by to offer you one more deal. Now, this is a man going to do a deal. <laughs> I got to go more time to sit and I was like, I'm dying. I'm going to die, so I need to come by and work the deal out with you. He said, I'm going to turn it all over to my kids and family, but I want you to have this. So I'm going to offer you a deal you can't say no to. And he offered me a price that I knew was God's will, and I bought it in Jesus' name. I, yes, I did. Praise God. We still own it. What's the price? It's a hallelujah price. That's all I'm going to say. Glory to God, it was. But I'm going to tell you what's amazing. In the middle of that, I thought, what an inspiration. You know why God had that man come by? Look at your future. Look at your future. Imagine, imagine, you're about to die. It's your last time. You're going down. That's it. Ah, ah, oh, boy, I'm dying. Hold on, hold on. Wait, Lord, I got one more deal, one more deal, one more deal. Hold on for a second. I got, I got one more deal. Imagine what it's like still believe in yourself. Imagine what it's like to not give up on life. What would it be like if you were to say, I can still go forward? Can you lift your hands up high and say it with me, please? Come on. Say, I can still go forward. Come on. That's not powerful. Say, I, I can, can still go forward. forward. Now give God a big shout and a big hand clap. Come on. Yes, you can. I can still go forward. Who in the world says I can what in the world is this that makes me believe I can? It's because you don't understand a principle. If you look at me in Deuteronomy chapter 8, in your notes, the last point of the day, one thing that I've learned about mature, wealth-building people is they never forget certain things. And the one thing they never forget is who gave them wealth, where it comes from. 
And here's what I love. Now, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to go down to verse 18 in your notes, because, and I underlined uh, uh, something in bold prints for you. And here's what it says. It says, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. That's where I'm, that's I'm going to take you. That's the ultimate goal of this. I want you to see that it's his desire. It was his plan. And the reason he wants you to get wealth is that you may establish his covenant. There's a covenant purpose. God is a goal. God wants you to have certain things so you can do things. The ability to not just complain and talk and the world is bad. What can you do about it? What can you do about it? Let me tell you what you did about it. Ready? One of the problems in schools is the teachers don't have supplies. One of the problems is it's true. They have, they, they have to spend their own money, and they don't. So here's what you did. We have an adopt-a-school tribe here. The, 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 one of the things that they did was in, our, in, our, um, in our, one of our tribes, in our community tribe, one of their focuses is that we adopt schools. And so here's what you did. We, we, we went to the school, and we asked them what were their needs. We've adopted you for this year. This is our second year adopting this particular school with kids with special needs. And we, we took you, took your, we took your money, and we get, gave the teachers, had a list of things that they needed. And they listed them all. Here's what we did. Your paid staff, who did I say? Paid. Your paid staff had time in the daytime because you were working. Your paid staff took that list. They, they, they bought all the stuff that they needed. They neatly boxed it up. And then they ordered some things that were not ready yet because they had to come, they had to come in. And we check, they checklisted. There are three things missing from your box that you requested. Some of them needed calculators. Some of them needed special scissors because the kids can't use two scissors. They need five fingers. So we bought those kind of scissors. We, we bought, well, I mean, I'm, they bought all kinds of stuff. And I, I'm sitting there thinking, now, here's, here's the amazing part. Some of the people that were in the community tribe, one of, the, one of them needed a, a, some kind of special a television. Some of them needed some kind of a, a devices. It was amazing. They bought a bunch of stuff, and then your paid staff got into your paid-for van and drove it over to the school and delivered it to those teachers. And I say that's because we have resources. Come on, say amen. 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 Now, now, and I did not raise an offering for it. That's the power of tithes and offerings and the power of the members of that community tribe that they sent the list out to and said, these are some of the things that these kids need. And the tribe members, the ones who are members of that community tribe who signed up to be an adopted school, they, oh, I'll buy that. Oh, I'll buy this. Oh, I'll do that. And they put it all together. We filled in the gaps where there were gaps. That's the power of resources. But if you don't have anything, all you can do is, I can't believe the school system don't have things. I can't believe. But you can't do anything. Are you a complainer or a doer? What gives you the power to do is understanding, first of all, the power of engaging the problem directly and, and not forgetting an important element. Go back to verse 11. Turn your notes back over again. Let me show you. Deuteronomy 8. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God but not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Least when you have eaten and are full and have built your houses, the beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when you, your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, and when your heart is lifted up 
and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the, that great and terrible wilderness in which you were, were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought you, you water from out of, the, out of the flint rock, verse 16, who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know. He gave you food. That's what manna was, a special food he gave them, that he might humble you, that he might test you to do good in the land, verse 17. That you, then you'll say in your heart, if you're not careful, when you get to that place of blessing, you'll say, my power, my education, by my own ability, by my own skills and might of my hand have I gained this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you. Who gives who? No, no. Who does he give the power to? He gives the power to who? He gives you the power to get the wealth. Understand, that's part of how it all works. I don't know why we think it's just coming. It's just going to land on you. Your life, look at the preacher for a second. Your life will not change if you don't change your habits. If you don't change the way you see life and the way you approach life, and if you don't change the way you think, if you don't develop new convictions, nothing will change. That's scary, isn't it? This is it. No better, only worse. But if your life is ever going to change, you've got to change. Now, let me show you something at the bottom of your sermon notes that are profound. I'm starting a new series starting. Now, I'm sorry, part two to this next week. And in part two, I'm going to talk about how wealthy people think compared to poor people. Now, I want to be clear in Part of the resource for this is, is, is a book called Rich Habits by Tom Corley. I understand that poverty comes because sometimes society is unfair. I'm concerned about the, the, the vanishing middle class. I'm concerned about giving advantage to people and not considering how it impacts everybody. I believe it, it doesn't always trickle down. I'm a big believer in entrepreneurship. I'm a big believer in free market. But I also understand that there are problems when it's not fairly distributed. I believe that helps contribute to crime, to a lot of things. But sometimes crime is because of greed. Sometimes people are just not, because I, I say this, some of us in our history, as a country, we've been poor. There have been poor whites and poor blacks and poor Asians and poor people all over the world. And they have more integrity. Sometimes you remember the days when you were poor, but you brought your neighbor some food. Remember that? Remember the day when you were poor, but you helped each other. So poverty is not always linked to something the government didn't do. Sometimes there's a moral decline. There's an ethical decline. We don't love each other enough. We don't think as a group. We're very individualistic. It's all about me and not about you. And so if I can pause for a minute and get you to understand, there, there's certain ways that people who end up in poverty, again, I made it plain. I'm not blaming people who are poor for their condition. There are circumstances that they didn't create. There are countries. When you travel the world, there are countries that have created a world where the middle class disappears and there's nothing but rich, rich, and poor, poor. Go to Rio, go to Brazil, go, go to parts of Asia, you'll see it. Rich, rich, and poor, poor. Very, very little in the middle. Very few people land there. And that's why you have a rich condo on one side of the street and a slum across the street. I was just there a few months ago. I understand that. And then you hire guards to keep the poor people outside while the richer people shop. 
And I'm not putting them down for being wealthier. I'm not putting them down for doing well. I'm not putting anybody down. But all I want to do is take a study that grabbed my attention and share it with you. There are certain things that they discover that people who are rich do. Wealthier people do these things. And there are certain things that poor people do. For example, just in reading. If you look at the bottom of your notes, I gave you a, a study. In this, and again, the comparison he makes is, is a bit special because, for example, to be rich in this study, you had to make $160,000 a year and you had to have a $3.2 million net worth, which means when I took all of your income, all of your expenses, and your net at the end, if you understand what net worth is, right, you have $100,000 worth of assets. Let's say you have $100,000 worth of cars, um, books, tapes, cash, $100,000 worth. You owe $50,000. Your net is what? $50,000. That's your net worth. So if you have $10 in cash, but you owe $5, how much net worth do you have? $5. Everybody with me so far? Okay, follow the math. So in this study, these are people that have quite a bit of assets and cash. Look on the other side. The poor people in this study, they make $35,000 a year, and they have $5,000 net liquid assets. But what was fascinating is what they study said the habits were of both groups. And all I want you to do is with me, join me next week as I talk about habits and what you do. Do I have poor habits? That, do I do what most poor people do? Or do I do what rich people do? Here's my argument. If I'm poor, if I want to get from being old poor, I need to find out what the rich habits are and do, do what the rich people do. I may not have the money they have, but I can at least do what some of them do. Are you tracking with me? Here's what rich people do. First of all, 11% of rich people in this study read gossip tabloids for entertainment compared to 79% of poor people. So I argue with the things you watch that entertain you, this does not advance you. You heard what happened to J-Lo? <laughs> what? Damn, what happened? What happened? What happened? Yeah. She was at this club. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you worried about what a multimillionaire is doing? There you go again. Second thing 85% of rich people, they study self help improvement books for education in their career. They're, 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 they're focused on improving themselves, they read two books a month. He's, oh, I can't afford that. Go to the library. Pick up a magazine. I'm just trying to say 15% of poor people do that. See, what you, if, you're honest, if you're honest, you may have poor people habits. I'm not, you, you may, I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying you may. You, you, look at this. Think about it. Thirdly, 94% of wealthy people, they, they look at the news. They look at blogs compared to 11% of poor people. 65% of poor people, when they get in the car, I'm sorry, 65% of wealthy people, when they get in the car, they listen to book on tape compared to 5% of poor people. So what I told God, I need, me, I need me some rich habits. I may not have the money, but I'm going to get the habits in Jesus' name. I can start somewhere. Come on, say amen if you're in my church. I'm going to start somewhere. I'm not going to sit here and, and fill my mind up with stuff and spend hours of my life doing something that's not going to advance me. I want to build a future. If I've helped you today, say amen. amen. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Praise God.
Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share with your people. I pray that I have been inspirational and helpful. I pray, God, that the words that I have shared have lifted their minds, that these 36 minutes have been helpful, that they would say, my life has been made better because I have been here, and that I want something for my life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you said, Pastor, today you talked about a lot. One thing that you didn't talk a lot about is I, I need to make a commitment to Jesus. I need what you said was so true. The greatest wealth I can ever have is a right relationship with God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here and you say, Pastor, that's me. I want you to pray for me because I need to start a walk with God today. I want to build some strong spiritual wealth. With every head bowed and every eye closed for your privacy, simply raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. Pray for me, Pastor. Pray. Pray that prayer for me. I see one. I see two. Do I see you? Three, four. I see you. Five. I see more seven, I see eight, I see more people, see three, four over there, I see you, and more. God bless all of you, and back there I see you. And those who are home, I know you're praying some of you the same prayer. Father, let this be the beginning of a new walk for them, where they say, Jesus, what I heard challenged my life, not only in my natural life, in the wealth-building part of my life, but in the spiritual part of my life. And I invite Jesus to be the Lord of my life today. I pray you let this be that beginning walk for them. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen.